I love subscription services. I love getting a box in the mail with things inside of it that I would have chosen. And if it involves my family and travel, count me in. So I partnered with The Global Sleepover. My friend Gita Raj was on a previous episode where I feature her and her incredible story. You'll have to check it out. And she started The Global Sleepover. Together, we are curating a subscription service called Landmarks of Hope, where you will get a box filled with incredible things for your family to travel around the world together without leaving home. Perfect for a pandemic. And what are these landmarks of hope? Well, they're pilgrimage sites. So if you're Catholic or Christian, you're going to really love it. But what if you aren't? That's okay. We have that covered as well. So go to globalsleepover.com slash landmarks of hope and sign up to get more information. These boxes will be ready by Christmas. When I was 22 years old, I got married to my high school sweetheart, and we have been together five and a half years before that happened. He took a job with Dell Computers, which is in Round Rock, Texas. I thought, great, I'll be a teacher. So I did all the teacher things, and I got a job in Round Rock, Texas, and I moved with him. Now, that was a very trying time of my life in my career specifically because I couldn't get a job. It really was a lot more challenging than I thought it would be. I had like those little sub jobs or whatever. I mean, I wasn't an actual real life, have a badge and a box, actual teacher. Not until October. So we're talking about Because we got married in 2000, oh my gosh, we're talking 20 years ago this month. Well, this is now officially the most depressing podcast I've ever recorded. Dear God, okay, that's awful. Anyway, so, right. I get to this school in October and they offer me a permanent job as the kindergarten teacher. Now, here's what's interesting. I was the third kindergarten teacher for this class for the year, and it was only October. This class was hellacious. And you're thinking, but they're kindergartners. Yeah, okay. I want everybody to pause for a second and think about how, oh, I don't know, the pandemic has been. Now, imagine if you had 28 of those kids and, oh my gosh. You know what? I'm not going to go into it because it was such a horrific story. I have so many stories from that kindergarten year. So many stories. But this one is one that I rarely tell because it was a year of finding myself. It was a year of discovering who I was and trying to be a wife. And I was actually really sick at the time. And I didn't really know about all my medical things. And oh, this school was a hot mess and a half. It was 2020 as an elementary school, like for real. Oh my God. I mean, sorry, I am getting a flood of stories racing to my brain. One of the worst parts about this school was we had a 
entire school shut down, which we had about 1,200 kids. And we would shut down the school two or three times a week for three hours a day. So like I think on Tuesdays and Thursdays, and we would start a city, like an entire city would emerge in the school. No more like arithmetic, no more science, no more English. Everybody went to quote unquote jobs. Everybody went into quote unquote government. Everybody went into whatever to make this actual city run. And we really did. We did it for like two or three times a week. And that would make sense in a normal school, but this was anything but a normal school. We had no business shutting down the day so we could pretend to play city. Well, I have a very limited skill set. <laughs> they discovered that really quickly. There was no jobs I could run. I couldn't do the bank. Are you kidding me? No way could I do that math. I couldn't do government. I didn't understand any, please. Th- there was nothing for me to do. So I said to them, what if I start a broadcast journalism class? And they said, sure. Oh my gosh. When I say this was a disaster, I'm talking about (laughs) Michelle Pfeiffer coming into a school and never getting control of the kids. I want you to think about that, okay? Think of any of those teacher films where you're like, this is so inspiring. I believe in education and people. Okay, imagine that, but without the ending. That was my first year of teaching. And especially with this broadcast journalism class, you guys, I had no idea what I was doing. And I have saved the best part for last. It was a bilingual school. 75% of the kids, something like that, literally came from Mexico to the United States up until the last day of school, we would have kids. We were Title I, like I said, over 1,200 kids. It was, it was tough. So these children who were sweet and amazing could not speak literally English. So why I thought it was a great idea to teach them how to write, which I didn't know how to write a broadcast script, how to do camera work. Oh, I'm sorry. Do I have any camera work? Oh, I don't. Okay, fantastic. This sounds like a plan. And then, oh, this is the best part. We recorded it. And then we showed it once in the morning and then in like the end of the school day at like on Friday, like at the end of the week. What? Anyway, it was horrific. (laughs) Everything about it. And listen, not that you guys can talk to me. That is the worst part about a podcast because I love everything else about it. Please, someone remind me to share the story about when I was the lead In the fifth grade play, yeah, it's as good as you want it to be, that story. What's fantastic about my guest today is that she actually majored in broadcast journalism. (laughs) She was an anchor, like an actual anchor on television, on purpose, and knew her job and do all the things. Now, the thing that, you know, besides that, that people know her name, if they recognize it, is because she ended up marrying someone very famous, She married Theo Rossi of Sons of Anarchy and Luke Cage. He's in a lot of other fantastic things. But I know my guest from when she was a teen. She was one of my teenagers from when I was doing youth ministry, and she's been a friend ever since. But 
which she has to say today about the news is really profound, really profound and not in a controversial way at all. Like this is, you know me, I don't want to be controversial, but I like telling a story and she's got a fantastic story. The story I didn't see coming out of this one. Oh, you're going to have to wait, but I'll tell you this. It involves her husband, Theo. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome a true broadcaster, <laughs> someone who makes me smile, Megan Rossi. Well, hello, Miss Megan. I know you as Megan McDermott, but you are Megan Rossi, right? I haven't or- <laughs> heard that name in a while. That was fun to hear, Megan McDermott. I haven't said that in a Aww. while. Do you ever feel that way about your maiden name? You go, oh, I haven't said that in a while. <laughs> Yes, yes. And and you had a good one. It's not like you exchanged it for, you know, it was a good, and it, it flowed. Like your name was always a, you were that kid in school that people would say your first and last name, you know, like John Smith. I don't know. You just have to like say And thank it, goodness, you know? you know, the person I fell in love with has a great last name as well. I mean, that could have gone south real quick. So I <laughs> Well, that's good. That's a good reason to keep your husband because his name flows with your first name. There's worse reasons. (laughs) (laughs) So Megan, I knew you, uh, and we won't go into a lot of this because that's not what our point is for today, but I knew you back in the day. You're actually significantly younger than I am, which is not hard to do, but I knew you back in the day and I used to staff all of your retreats. Mm -hmm. It's kind of what I feel like. Am I wrong? Yes, you were always... (laughs) The older girl that I looked up to, I'm not sure what our exact age difference is, but you were definitely that big, because I'm the oldest of my family, so I always look to older girls to be like that big sister mentor, so to me, you were always just on the right path and, you know, motivated me to try to make good decisions (laughs) as a teenager, and yeah, that's how I always viewed you, I mean... Oh, I love it. And I love because it wasn't that long ago. It probably was like three years ago, but there was a moment on your Instagram or on your social media, you had, I had given you like um, some blessed medals and you were with your husband, Theo, in the car (laughs) and you guys were talking about them because they were blessed by Pope John Paul II, who was a saint now. But at the time I gave them to you, he wasn't a saint. He was just the Pope. Uh (laughs) Like that wasn't impressive. (laughs) Yes. I, I remember it very, you know, significantly the day that you gave me those medals. And I, I actually paired it with, you know, another medal that, that means a lot to me. And ever since I started driving at the age of 16 to this day, they're outside right now in my car, hanging from my rear view mirror. And they are on my rear view mirror every single day since the first car I ever drove. Yeah. That's so amazing. (laughs) That's really cool because you don't know when you're working with youth, you know what I mean? Like you don't know what they're going to bring with them or not bring with them into their lives. So that's amazing. I mean, I just, I can't tell you how much that touches me that you still have those and that they're still a part of your life. Uh I love that. So you went on to become a pretty big deal yourself, little miss. You went into broadcast journalism. Is that right? Is that the way to say yes. that? Like, uh-huh. it sounds so Melanie Griffith. <laughs> like, you don't even know who that is because you're nine. But you're, you know, broadcast journalism. And you were, were you technically an anchor? Yes. Like, what? Mm-hmm. Okay, so you were an anchor. 
You did TV, all the things. That sounds like a very exciting life. Uh, Sure. Yeah. I mean, in one one (laughs) regard, it was exciting. I will say it was, if you are an adrenaline junkie and you uh, like to just live off of cheese sandwiches and live, you know, uh, in very interesting circumstances and all you do is work, that is it. Yes, it was. <laughs> then that is the yes, place to go. You're like, you're in the broadcast room. 24-7. It was unbelievable. But yeah, I did. I was a news anchor and a reporter and all the things, photographer, video. I mean, it, at one point, I, I remember I'd be, I was in this little town up at the Texas-Oklahoma border. I was right out of college. I was 21 years old and I was on the anchor desk and many of my friends were still in school. And I would, I would go into work at that point, like 1230, 1am, I would go in because I had to write the whole show. I had to produce the show. I had to cut the tape. I had to take down the live feeds from network. Um, and so I, they would be like texting me, calling me and being like, Oh, we're just leaving the bar. And I'm like, that's great. So I'm cutting the morning show, but then I would get off the desk and in my high heels and my suit go out to a meth lab bus and i'd be like trucking around this big heavy like 30 pound camera and like doing the meth lab bus and then going i was like what is happening right now <laughs> weird you're like same <laughs> yeah weird existence <laughs> yes so how long did you do this megan how long were you in the news i was world? in the news world for about six years and then let's see what was happening. It was about six years. I remember that recession was starting to kick in 2008, 2009, 2009. And I don't even know, it doesn't matter the year, but I remember just going, my contract was coming up for renewal. At this point I had moved on to a different uh, news station. I was living in East Texas at this point. And um, I just looked around and I said, I had recently covered, I think uh, it was H1N1 or H1N2. It was one of those um, outbreaks that we had. And a young boy, elementary age with asthma, had passed away from complications. And immediately, my news director, who's the newsroom manager, had said, Megan, you're the education reporter, so you go and find the parents, find out where they live, and go knock on their door and see how they feel about their child who just died. Okay. And now I understand that in a non-emotional way, I guess that's a part of journalism, right? Is covering the story and getting the reaction. And I could not do it. And I just said, I, I cannot go and beat down the door of someone who just lost their child. I, I just couldn't do it. It was a big fight. And, and there are other things happening. I noticed, you know, stories that weren't getting covered because maybe the story was about a big advertiser and we didn't want to put them in a negative light. And I just said, I don't think this is for me anymore. This does not rest well with me. So I, I moved on to other other things after that. So. so you left it. And after you had done, like, this was going, was this always your dream oh, to be? Girl, in- I was, I still remember <laughs> I was, in middle school and I have always been incredibly focused like if there's something that I want to do I just go all in on it so from a young age I think it's just growing up right and we just had to watch whatever mom and dad had on the tv and we only had you know like we had two tvs in the house we had this teeny tiny little black and white tv in the kitchen that my parents would watch sometimes like to watch the news and then we had the main tv that was it So um, my parents always had the evening news on. 
So I grew up watching the cycle of like the evening news in Houston and then like entertainment tonight would come on eventually and it was a big thing. So I always, I guess, was into watching the news, but I really enjoyed telling stories, digging into the truth. Like I would have really loved being like an attorney or an investigator because I just love digging in. But that being said, I was in middle school and I remember I sought out my first seminar where I could go and, and hear like a local TV news anchor reporter speak. And ever since then, I mean, I had my first in internship at the NBC station in Houston when I was a senior in high school. So I was like, I was in it. Yeah. I didn't realize that. I didn't realize you were so into it even in school. Yes. Like enough to have an internship. Yeah. So was there a news story that really that, you know, we all grew up with like, I was talking about this the other day. Now that we have news at our fingertips, mm -hmm. literally the second it's happening yeah. before, you know, there's no filter anymore. There's no processing of should we put exactly. this out or is this all true? Mm -hmm. Like I'm sure you've seen it just kind of disintegrate, you know, the whole news cycle of what, you know, there used to be like a code and there used to be. You know, it's like flying. People used to dress up and yes. <laughs> it used to be a thing. Same with the news. It used to be a thing. Like you had to wait and there was some, you know, anticipation and there was fact checking. And now it doesn't matter. I mean, it's just out there. And I think we've lost an innocence about all of us because we have so much knowledge at this point. We're not even looking to true newscasters anymore or journalists mm -hmm. anymore. We, we think everyone's a journalist. Mm -hmm. So was there a story? Because I can remember growing up watching Baby Jessica in the Well, which you probably weren't even alive. <laughs> um, that was a huge story. I remember watching OJ, oh, yes. you know, in the white Bronco. <laughs> Bronco. Uh <-huh. laughs> I remember watching David Koresh, you know, that horrible Waco scene. I remember watching, you know, so there's like these moments, the challenger. I was watching I was watching a documentary on Netflix about yeah. the Challenger. These were huge stories that impacted me growing up. And then of course I feel like 9-11 was the last one, yeah. really was that last stage of innocence of watching the news unfold the way that we did. Was there a story that really impacted you or a few of them? I'm trying to think off the corner of my mind. You know, when I start thinking about stories, I mean, for me and my upbringing, you know, OJ and the whole Waco situation, those handled, you know, when I was young, but I would say right here off the top of my head, you know what really sticks out in like my emotional imprint were the stories such as Princess Diana dying. I remember I had been at the movies with my friends, right? That was all the good innocent fun. We would go to the movies or we would go to the mall. And that's where we hung out. So I had been at the movies with some friends and I came home and my mom was glued to the TV. And I, it was the first time that I can remember staying up for wall-to-wall -wall coverage. And then, you know oh, what I mean? That was the first time where yeah, I was like, I'm not -to going to bed. And I remember I actually slept in front of the TV and I want to say, don't hold me to this exact timeline, but it was at some point in the middle of the night and I woke up and they were announcing that she had died at the hospital. And um, anyway, so that was a very poignant moment of me going, oh, wow, I'm, I'm, I'm in it to watch how this unfolds and the storytelling. And I was just so captivated uh, by, by that. And then, and then for me, I was a freshman in college when 9-11 happened. So that was another one. And that just, at that point, I was already on the track, you know, for journalism, but it just really solidified to me, like, Let's gather the facts. Let's get the angles. Let's get the impact. Let's talk to the experts. I was, I mean, even now just talking about it, it brings up that adrenaline in, in those memories. So, yeah. Is it hard to watch 
shows. Like I always think of like Dan Rather right now. Like I always think of like the guys who. Have you seen his Twitter recently? (laughs) He he got, you know what he said? He said, y'all, I am too old for this now. Um, This is what I have to say. I follow him on Twitter and I am completely baffled by how, I don't know, brazen he is with his opinions. Um, I will say that, um, you know, in current times when COVID first started hitting, I, first of all, I saw it coming. I actually started um, my Amazon orders back in February before much of the country. I think, too, just that investigative nature, as soon as I started seeing little rumblings, I am trained to read across all sources. So I read international and domestic news. And I just said, yep, this is going to come. And I don't know yet how severe the virus will be, but I can already predict, um, you know, the American reaction to this. So I'm just going to go ahead and get my face shield and my pasta. So that's what I did. (laughs) (laughs) What else do you need in a pandemic? You should write a book. (laughs) Investigative reporting, how to survive a pandemic, pasta and a face shield. I love it. So yeah, well, and I, I always, I always think about that. I think about people who used to tell the news, and as they're watching it unfold, as now a civilian, yeah. I like, I, I pretend that you guys were like, you know, in the army, or like, you know, yeah, like Navy SEALs, yeah. and now, yeah. Do you miss it? Like, do you miss that that rush of oh, this oh, okay, yeah. that would have been a great story. Yes, and I talked to my husband about that quite a bit. Where I'll say I really miss that authority and going in and you know, someone else like bankrolling my investigative nature and me going in like being that authority figure to, to share the story. But now, it, but the, every time I start to think, hmm, like maybe I should start a YouTube channel and just like start a news, I go, I just, no, I have other, I just have other enjoyments and other pleasures in life. I'm just a different person and I cannot watch the news. I only watch it when I absolutely have to um, if something really big is going on because, you know, it's like a voyeur. I kind of want to see like, okay, what are you guys saying? And then I just go, I'm constantly complaining about the abundance of opinion in news and it is driving me crazy. And I, because I thankfully have the ability to look at it and, you know, shake out all the mud. Like if you're panning for gold and you're shaking all the muck out and like what's left, I can see through all the riffraff, but what's unfortunate is that so many people don't have that training or that understanding. And so they just take everything as face value. And we are seeing such division because of this, because to me, you know, you use Dan Rather as an example, Dan Rather was a trusted person. They were an authority. They were an uncle, a a grandfather parent, you know, a father figure, whatever. And you trusted their information. You trusted that they vetted. You trusted that they're going to present. We were trained in journalism school that first of all, you need three different, you know, confirm a story with three different sources and you must present every story with no opinion and with both sides so that the viewer decides personally what their belief is. And we were trained on that. I went to university of Houston's shout out, go Cougs. We were trained on that. And so now when I just see my opinion, my opinion, I'm like, oh gosh, this is not what you guys are supposed to be doing. I mean, here on my phone, I get news alerts from all different agencies and it's even their um, text alerts are just, it's opinion. 
so anyway, I just don't watch it. I take little bits. I have my, you know, my little things that I follow and my trackers and my police scanners. And I always say, if, if someone is burning down my neighborhood, I'll know about it. But other than that, if I, my husband, my children, my dog, if we are safe and happy and healthy, that is what I care about. Yeah, no. And, and I think you're, I think you're so right. And I think, you know what, let me ask you this as for my audience, what are a couple of news sources that you say, okay, listen, you could look at these four, you know, or like, is there anybody that you really, really love um, or kind of like? I'm, 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 <laughs> if they could see me now, I'm, I'm grimacing and getting nervous because I hate to endorse any of them because they're all just so slanted. But I That's will fair. say that I for say sure, um, I have news alerts. I will say, here's what I'll say on my phone. I receive news alerts from USA Today, the BBC, CNN. I don't know if I have Fox because I do try to get CNN and Fox have unfortunately in recent years become polar opposites. But I don't understand what's happening there. They're so slanted. So um, I try. I do those on my phone, and then I I use some apps like the Citizen app just to see if there's anything. I have um, Huffington Post but it's gotten way too opinionated. So I can't handle that anymore, but yeah. And I, I really, I really like the BBC um, for how yeah. they cover news. And No, I think that's fair. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's a good one. So you were this cute little anchor out in East Texas uh-huh. <laughs> and, and then you were like, I can't do this anymore. And you have gone on, I would like to say you're an entrepreneur. Yeah. I don't know if that's how you look at yourself, but you've rebranded. I mean, you went through an entire different identity and you ended up marrying a pretty famous guy who, from what I know, is not from East Texas or Houston. <laughs> or from <laughs> anybody who, or, or yeah. So, you know, and y'all, um, you know, and that's kind of a neat little story, but he's on uh, Sons of Anarchy. I like to say is on, I mean, it forever I, lives, yeah. right? Even though I think the show is technically over. Luke Cage. I don't know if that's yeah. true. Theo mm-hmm. Rossi. So I'm sure a million other things, but that's, that's, ex- I mean, like Megan, how did this I happen? Don't I don't understand. Okay. So I have, so I'm a big quote person. I actually keep a journal of quotes that I love. I have quotes here on post-it notes on my computer. Um, but one of my favorite quotes that's now at the bottom of my stationery is prepare for places unexpected. Okay. Whoa. Wait, say that again. Say that one more Prepare time. Prepare for places unexpected. Because you are going to constantly have expectations and you're going to think I'm headed in this direction. I'm going to tell you, honey, prepare for the unexpected because and be open to it. So here I am. I'm telling you that since I was in middle school, I was going to be like, oh, I'm going to be Katie Couric. Like that was my end goal. I wanted to be, you know, a national TV news anchor, win awards, blah. And then I started to live life and grow and mature and change as a person. And I had a couple very significant conversations with people over the years as I was starting to realize that perhaps journalism in the way that I was in it was not what I wanted to do or what my identity to be. And they just said, remember, just wait until you get outside of this bubble and see what else there is you know, to offer. And also understand that, you know, the average adult has X number of different, you know, professions in their life. And I was like, yeah, right. Not me. Like I'm on, I'm on a one track, you know, goal. 
Um, so anyway, so I prepared for Places Unexpected, and just to gloss over, since leaving TV News, I have been, I have run an advertising agency. I have started a national nonprofit. I, yes, met a husband who grew up halfway across the country and, you know, is a professional actor and producer. And then I, with him, started three different companies and um, now run two of those companies I run. And one of them is a premium bottled water company. And I, you know, help him with his career and um, in so many different ways. And so, um, yeah, I definitely did not see this one coming. Like, no way. This is wild. Yeah. What has happened in the last 10 years or more, 12 years. So, yeah. That's amazing. And you're a mom. Yes. And I'm a mom <laughs> and I have two boys. They're Kane is five and Arlo is three. Oh, I love just it. love it. Fantastic. And so it's a whole different world. I want you to, I think if I were to pick a passion project for you, just from what I see, I mean, ounce, your, your water, your premium water looks amazing. And when you rolled that out, that was so cool. And I think it's a brilliant concept you know, and I'll have the links in the show notes about it yeah. and all your things. We'll put all your little <laughs> ventures you. in there so people can find all the things and I'll let you share all of it. But there's something that you kind of dove into about inspiring people or telling people stories. Mm -hmm. There's a whole project about, I, I feel like it's the journalist in you <laughs> finding a healthy way of telling stories because I think that's who you are. You're a storyteller and that's what's so fascinating to watch your career go from mainstream, you know, journalism, being on television, but now you're doing it in a different way. So how did that come to you? How did that, how did that, how did that happen? Um, I believe it's like so many things in life, right? It's just your life experiences building on top of each other and then staying true to your core values and the impact that you want to make on the world. I feel very deeply about others. Um, I guess someone label that as an empath. I just feel others. I think so much of it too, uh, like you and I are shared upbringing of, you know, service to others. And I just really want, I, I genuinely at my core want to encourage people to live their best life. And I am very quick to follow it up because of modern advertising to say, I do not believe that your best life means that you're at a certain age, weight, or income level. I truly believe that encouraging others to live their best life is encouraging them, mind, body, and soul to go on the positive side. Like whatever personally, like I want you to make healthy decisions for what you put into your body. I want you to drink enough water. That's all I want to encourage you to do. Um, mentally, we started, we, Theo and I, my husband started Go Get It Life six years ago, seven years ago. Mental health, tell your story, get it out. You know, I think so many people snap mental breakdowns, um, different mental illnesses because they're not getting it out. They're, they don't know how to identify and articulate their emotions and then start solving it. So, so then, and then soul, just that encouragement of that positive mindset, that 
that there is a higher being, there is a higher purpose. You're not an accident. So when I, when I look back and I, I look at it and go, okay, I left journalism because I liked telling people stories and interacting with people. And then I ended up in advertising. That was because I just like promoting brands, you know, naturally, I'm sure you're much the same way. Oh, my girlfriend's got a great little company or my friend over here, my brother has this. And like, you just want to promote brands. And then the nonprofit opportunity came up through that. I, you know, I met someone and then this group of women who all had other responsibility as, as moms or full-time career women couldn't devote full-time attention to starting a nonprofit. So they took a chance on me and I came on, you know, as their first staff member and we gave back to military veterans and their families. And that was me wanting to say, I have certain skill sets on how to work with the media and promote, like I want to help others. And then through that, I met my husband and then through that, he and I have such a shared passion for giving back to other people that then we started a water company and then we started that, you know, go get it life. And, you know, all that to say is I never set out with this intention that these would be the mechanisms that I would create. I never was like, oh, one day I'm going to have a blog. First of all, blogs didn't exist. You know, I was like, I'm going to have a blog or I'm going to sell t-shirts and apparels. I'm not going to you know, I, I sell journals like mindfulness journals to help people process out their emotions. Um, so I got with a friend of mine who's a graphic designer and we created a journal. I didn't, I never thought I'd own a bottled water company. It's just, these were the catalysts for me to help encourage everyone to just live their best life, to make healthier decisions. So. I love that. So when you met Theo, mm -hmm. Um, okay, so what what is the name of the nonprofit that? So the the yeah. nonprofit that I met Theo through is the Boot Campaign. The Boot Campaign. Okay, and so this is the one with the yes. military and okay. So you guys meet, and I'm guessing he's not the first guy you ever dated, <laughs> or <laughs> he is not. He is not. I'm guessing you're not the first girl no, he ever kissed. I'm just no, gonna throw it I out met there. I met Theo when well. Theo and I met, but we were both in other relationships. He was nowhere near my type when we met, like, and on my radar, like meaning, first of all, I was in a relationship. I just, what my blinders were up and I met him and he was not my type. He was an, he is an actor. I had no desire to ever date someone who was, I, you know, uh, just in the spotlight, a, an actor, professional athlete, like that is just not, uh, I had no interest, right? Based on prejudice, unfortunately, but you know, I had no interest in that. He just was not my type. I was like, you live in Los Angeles, you're an actor, like I know you through work and I met him and it was strictly through work. It was strictly oh, hi, nice to meet you. And he is always like running around. He's like the guy, oh, hey, you know, he's like friends with everybody, talking to everyone. And I was always, I always knew him because he was one of our celebrity ambassadors to help us promote the nonprofit. And we would do fundraisers together. And he had, he has such a heart for giving back. I mean, gosh, he just, he just wants to give everyone everything. And so he had the idea with the cast of Sons of Anarchy, hey, let's, let's host an annual motorcycle ride and then a big concert after party. 
we will all come for free because usually they charge really hefty fees to make appearances like we'll come for free we'll help with all you know all this stuff and so to me it was just like planning an event and then i always ran the red carpet so me i was always like theo get over here god where is that theo rossi get on the carpet what are you doing you know and getting him and never said more than like five words to the guy until you know it was always strictly work and then two years of just working together oh yeah theo this theo that um so hurricane sandy hit new york okay and that was in 2012 like into november 2012 and theo happened to be home in new york visiting his family they had just wrapped up filming that season because we always film suns into like october so he was home visiting his family in new york for a while Hurricane Sandy hit New York. They are not like us growing up, you know, on the Gulf Coast. They were not prepared. And he was there on the ground, like helping, like dig out people and all this kind of stuff and helping, you know, in the high school gym, set up all this, you know, triage centers and stuff. So he, under, under the arm of a, a national nonprofit, you can set up like emergency funds um, that aren't in line with that charity's mission. Just you get like a one year grace period from the government, just like if there's an emergency need to bring in funds. So he came to us at the boot campaign was like, I need to start taking in funds to help people. So for one year, he got to have like a, a special program under our arm. And, you know, right off the bat, he raised half a million dollars. He rebuilt uh, like a handful of homes, like from scratch, like rebuilt the homes. He provided hundreds of thousands of dollars just in cash to families who needed it. And so we started to work together more closely on benefits to raise money for his Hurricane Sandy relief um, through his Staten Strong program. And so I started to go to New York a lot more for events. And then I noticed there was this particular weekend where I went to New York and I was single at the time. And uh, I had been single for quite some time, actually. And um, I had basically taken like a year and a half break on dating anyone. And I was like, I'm going to be single and just by myself. And I really need to do that. So I, once again, I still had my blinders up. I, I did not want to be in a relationship and I was really working on myself. But anyway, so I'm in New York and I started to notice that Theo's assistant was like really engaging with me a lot. And she was like, hey, there's a dinner and Theo would like you to be there. And hey, there's a this and like, can you come here? And I was like, okay, this is whatever. It's kind of different, but sure. Yeah, I'll come and go to this dinner. I'll go to you know, this event and all this. And I just noticed that all of a sudden he was single and he was talking to me and I had never given him more than professional conversation because once again it was professional that was it and I noticed that throughout this weekend of events he was like seeking me out just to talk very casually very and he was such a gentleman and he was he was completely opposite from what I had unfortunately prejudged that he would be like so we began to talk and um, we did a fundraiser and then we surprised an 81 year old woman with news that we would be rebuilding her home. And so I was a part of that. And then he said, Hey, my mom, she, every Sunday, she hosts, you know, a big Sunday family dinner at the house. It's the Sunday sauce. It's a big New York thing. And they're, you know, this whole like cultural thing, we're gonna, you know, do a whole Sunday, 30 people are coming over, we've got the meatballs, we've got rounds of, you know, sauce are coming out. I'm like, 
well, I don't fly out till tomorrow. So sure. Like, you know, I'll come. And I noticed the whole time I'm there, he's just always like talking to me. And I just was like, what? And by the end of the, by the end of the day of hanging out at his mom's with all these people and having meatballs and all this kind of stuff, he and another one of our associates, a guy who worked for the FX network, who was in town for the event, we were both staying in Manhattan. So Theo and his little sister um, drove us back into Manhattan, dropped us, us off at our hotels. It was all very platonic. And I remember, I'll never forget, I got out of the car when he dropped me off in front of my hotel. And he gave me a hug, like, oh, it was so you know, great to see you. And I just remember thinking, I just don't want to stop talking to this guy. I just want to keep talking. Like, I just wanted to keep talking to him. So he actually got my number from a mutual friend <laughs> because we didn't even have personal communicate, you know, one-on-one -on -one communication. He got my number and he just started reaching out. And um, I actually left the following week with my mom. We went on a trip to Paris. That's a whole other thing, just me and my mom. And then I noticed, like, he started texting and talking and lo and behold, we ended up writing each other letters in the mail. Theo Rossi, Sons of Anarchy, yeah. Luke Cage was writing you letters in the yeah. mail? Stop. Yeah. <laughs> so we started writing each other letters in the mail, like Maybe. so old school. And it got to a point in the letters. And remember, I was thinking, I don't really want to be in a relationship, but I can't. I just remember, thinking, I can't stop talking to this guy. I just want to keep talking to him and so um yeah so we started writing letters to each other i had a very crazy work schedule i was on an airplane every week going to a different fundraiser or event you know for the nonprofit. and um he was in the middle of filming sons of anarchy and he was working crazy hours and that he got to a point where he said i don't care if all we have time for is to meet in an airport somewhere and have coffee, he's like, I have to see, like, I have to see you. So we got to the point where he decided I'm going to fly to Austin. And he said, I have, I'm going to be, I work until 5am, like on that Saturday morning, like he was working overnight and he's like, I'm going to be on the first plane. I'm going to fly straight to Austin. He booked himself a hotel room. He's like, I have about, I think he had 31 hours. He's like, I have 31 hours. I booked a room at this hotel. I'm coming to see you. I picked him up from the airport on that Saturday. And aside from like the few hours that we slept, you know, that night, like at night, we talked the entire time till I took him. And then when I took him to the airport the next day, we were, you know, hugging goodbye at the airport. And he said that he said, this is it. He said, I'm getting ready to move to New York and I, I want to move back to New York and all this. And he goes, like, you are it. Like, will you move back to New York with me? And I was like, yeah. And that was it. <laughs> the letters the did letters it. The letters <laughs> did it. Because you know what it is? It was, it was just old school conversation. Which is what we're lacking. Yeah. Which is what, you know, the, the whole inspiration about this podcast is, is like, Let's get back to talking and hearing stories. And it's not flashy. Mm -hmm. It's not going to be crazy entertaining. It's listening to people. Yeah. <laughs> like, who remembers how to do this, right? <laughs> like, where you just sit down and you're like, no, you go. Go ahead. Tell me all the yeah. things. Um, I love that. That is so beautiful. And 
so needed for today. And look, that happened in the 2000s. It's not like this is a story from 1953. (laughs) It was modern. There were smartphones by that time. And yeah, I mean, that's what we did. I mean. I love that. Megan, I love it. So let me ask you. What had to, this is my question I ask all of my guests, and usually it's around when they left their success, quote unquote, you know, like I thought, oh, I'll ask her this question when she left broadcasting, right? Because that seems like the easy go-to. But every time I come up for this question, it always shifts. It's unexpected. It's where I don't expect it to go. So for Theo, obviously those 31 hours were magical. (laughs) He was eating unicorns by then. He was smitten as a kitten. But for you... What had a quiet down in your life for you to hear God inside of you telling you, this is it. This is the guy. What had a quiet down? I don't know if this will, you know, be the best answer, but I would, you know, I just keep thinking like fear, fear, fear keeps, you know, beaten into my ears. And I had to just slow down because, you know, for me, I was always so quick to jump from, one thing to the next to the next and I had to slow down I had to really um I had to address a lot with God I remember so the year that Theo and I got together was 2013 and I was going through a pretty like ground shaking experience life experience and I, I I woke up on January 1st of 2013 and I I was with one of my best friends in the world. And we had gone out the night before for New Year's Eve. And I woke up and I just said, I said to her, I said, this is not the life that I want. I have to get closer to God. And I purchased a, like a daily Bible. So the the Bible that I have, the special edition is to where you can read a bit every single day so that in a year you finish the Bible. And I said, the decisions that I am making are not the best. I need to put this in somebody else's hands, right? So I think maybe it's not fear. I think it's maybe just like letting go and just saying that I am not in control. And although, although there is free will, somebody else is driving this, this bus. So I, I remember I would lay in my bed in my apartment with my beloved Sasha who went to heaven last year. And I would, I would read, you know, my, my section of the Bible every single day. And I just said, I am going to be open to maybe you should make the choices. (laughs) So I, I also have superstitions. Okay. I can't help it. It's in my nature. And I had a quiet superstition that I had set and I had never told a single soul, not even my best friend, nothing. Okay. And I said that the man that I am supposed to marry will buy me a locket, a locket. Because I, I, because <laughs> you're Annie, once again, from, for better or worse, I'm not saying that I am a perfect human, but I like to test God sometimes. And um, so I said to God, I said, okay, well, the person that I'm supposed to marry is going to buy me a locket. I never told a soul, not my sister, not my mom, not my best friend. It was in my head, never even wrote it in a journal. So remember when I said that Theo came to Austin, right? I was was reading my Bible every day. I was getting back to the core of who I am. I was working on my spirituality. I was being open to to letting go of control. And when Theo and I were in Austin, 
and because I was I was living here, of course. So he had come to Austin, he was visiting me, and we were just walking around. We went to like this place, Moonshine, for lunch. That was our first date, I guess. Technically, we were walking around the lake. We started walking down down South Congress, where there's all these cool, funky shops, and there's a shop called Uncommon Goods. And so he and I both like really eclectic, funky stuff. Like our house is just filled with like funky, random stuff. So we're going to the store. We're loving it. We go to the, there's a jewelry counter of antique jewelry. I kid you not. Theo said, Megan, um, let's go look at the jewelry counter. He's like, I really want to get you something. You know, you're having a great date. And he wanted to treat me to something. And I remember saying to myself, don't push it. Let God be in control this moment. I didn't, I swear to you. God, as my witness, I said, I'm not going to point. I'm going to let Theo. I said, oh, Theo, you, you pick out something. What would you like to get for me? Do you know what Theo picked out? A gold locket. <laughs> yep. I Did you die? I, and I didn't <laughs> tell him because I can't tell. I, you know, this is like the first day. I can't be like, oh, I always said that I, I would marry the person who buys me a locket. Like, I couldn't tell him because he'd be like, who the heck is this? clingy girl and so I kept it and as Theo and I fell in love and everything I told him you know the story and I always said like that was my god moment when I allowed Theo instead of controlling it and he picked out that gold locket I was like okay god I got it so then the next day he dropped me off and I was dropping him off at the airport and he's like this is it like will you move to New York I was like yeah you bought you know he didn't know but I was like bought me the locket so god was trying to tell me that yes I will I will move to New York (laughs) I already have my bags packed. I was already ready yeah, for this. God told me. I think, <laughs> I think this is great. I think all single ladies who are listening are going to go buy a read the Bible in a year Bible. And they're all going to secretly tell God yeah. some type of object. Yeah, some object. But, <laughs> but what's so beautiful is, first of all, that's human. I mean, who hasn't bartered with God or said, you know what I mean? Even the holiest have been like, all right, listen, okay, buddy. Please. This is the one time. Here's the deal. Yeah. yeah. All of Louisiana right now is waiting for Hurricane Delta to come in and they're all on their knees yes. saying, you know, like, I will give you my three cows, but I need you to like move this hurricane. I love how I think people in Louisiana have cows. I always get off because like, you know, feeling too bad about doing that with God because I, my, so my grandmother, my mom, my mom, my dad's mom. Okay. So my paternal grandmother, she was actually in the convent, like, and trust me, I don't know the whole path, right? But she was actually in process. She wanted to become a nun. And my grandfather came home from the war and they had known each other growing up and he got her out of the convent. So anyways, so I don't, you know, of course, I clearly don't know all the details, but I know that she was in a convent. He came home out. They had 10 kids. The rest is history. But my grandmother, McDermott, she had this system with God where she would not eat meat on Wednesday, I think it was. Like, it wasn't traditional, like the no meat Friday. She just told God, if I, I won't eat meat every Wednesday, and she never ate meat on Wednesday. And, like, that was her thing with God to whatever it was her, like, because I remember we were once making sandwiches, and she was visiting us, and she's like, I can't have roast beef. Today's Wednesday. I I told God I wouldn't eat meat on Wednesday if he did whatever. And I was like, well, if my grandmother can do it, I mean... <laughs> she was going to be a nun, so I think she's pretty holy. <laughs> you're like, that's my laminated cart. You're gonna die, and St. Peter's gonna be like, so you go in this section. You're gonna be like, no, listen, 
my grandmother is yeah, like, like, you know, Peggy, <laughs> she's already up here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's hilarious. But here's the thing that's human, right? I mean, like that's the humanity of it. And I like to think God is way bigger than our humanity. I don't know. I'm just saying I'm pretty much a theologian for saying that. I think that's really <laughs> <Yeah>. deep. <laughs> I think I'm the only one who believes that. No, obviously we all believe that. God can handle it, is what yeah. I'm saying. He can even handle our silly humanity. Yeah. But I think that's really beautiful. And what a test, like what a testimony about letting go, but not just letting go, because people like to say things to us like, oh, you should let go, you should let go. And here you are saying, I let go, but here's how I yeah. let go. And I really appreciate that about your story. Here's what I did. I read this. I gave my life over to God. Mm-hmm. This is what that looked like. And I think that's a really strong point, whether you're single or not. Yes. I might be buying that Bible tonight. That might be something I'm, I'm going to put yeah. in my Amazon card. What, what, what is the saying? Or I don't know if I made it up or I'm sure I saw it, but you know, it's let go and let God. Like you have to let go. Yeah. But yes. it's, it. okay. Have That's you ever been getting means, a right. massage and, or like you're getting physical therapies and they're like, let go, let, like, let me have your arm. And you're like, I don't know how to like they're but they're, so I don't know how to, you can't just let go. Like God's not like going, all right. So the purpose of, you know, creating you is just to have you sit back in a lounge chair. Like, no, you have to put work in. But my, my belief is, okay, so how are you going to spend your day? Are you going to spend it towards bad? Or are you going to send it towards good? So my idea was I'm letting go control by getting refocused on my soul, my spirituality, my purpose. Why am I here? And and two, just so much of my upbringing and belief system um, with even even how I am teaching our boys about Christmas, for example. Um, you know, I have a whole story I could tell you about how I am teaching our boys in such a commercialized society. What is Christmas? Who is Santa Claus? And all this. So, it, you know, and it just goes back to that, like just spreading good to other people. So. No, I love that. And I think it's really neat how knowing the beginning of your story of here you were doing broadcast journalism and it was that part of your soul that was like, this doesn't sit right with me. And being able to listen to that and to and to recognize your soul crying out saying, this is not how I want to spend my time on yeah. earth. And to be brave enough to leave that where most people be like, but you're on TV, you're, you know, you're doing all these things and, and look at the reward of where you're at. You know what I mean? Like how beautiful that you listened to your soul, Mm -hmm. to God. And now you're living what I would say way more successfully than if you had stayed somewhere where you were chained, you know what I mean? To something doing that you didn't believe in. Yeah. And I, and it was, it was hard. It was definitely, that was, you talk about identity crisis. Holy cow. I didn't know who I was or what I wanted to be. I just knew that I didn't want to be, you know, um, certain things. So I, and I had to actually write down on paper what I liked or, you know, what I wanted to do. And I had then had to find something that fit within that framework. And, you know, I mean, we're just always, you know, a work in progress, but I just have this feeling all the time. And even, you know, when I, when I talk to other people so many times who are going through horrific situations of abuse, neglect, poverty, uh, health crises, and I just go, you are completely valid in how you were feeling about this just hurdle that you were going through. But I promise you, if you will stick with it, if you will put in the work to address the health issues, 
to seek counseling to overcome, you know, the post-traumatic stress of abuse or neglect, like whatever it is. If you will put in the work, I promise you, you will come out the other side. So I have this um, thing, I, this experience that I love. Like one of my experiences that I love so much is when you are flying. Okay. I have always loved this and I have finally found a way to articulate it to people. So have you ever been taken off and it's a cloudy, rainy day where you are and you're just like, oh, and it's like dark and it's gray on the ground and it's raining and you're like, ugh. So you start taking off and as you are ascending into the air, all of a sudden, poof, you're above the clouds and you look out and it, it, it's, it is literally heaven on earth. The top of the clouds are white and puffy. The sun is blasting through your window. And I always tell people, when you are in that muck, I promise you, if you just keep going, you will. You are going to burst through the cloud, and there is just going to be all this sunshine. You just got to stick with it. I think I'm the person I need to hear that today. Oh, go ahead. I think, I think you can go put a sticker on your sticker chart. <laughs> Give yourself a check mark. Yes. <laughs> you you changed a life today because I, I needed that. So thank you. Because I am definitely, I'm still in some dark clouds. So I'm going to remember that I'm going to just keep ascending and I'll get over the top of it. Megan, this has been so beyond lovely. <laughs> and I mean, fantastic. I'd love to have you back. I'd love to have Theo. I want to get Theo's side oh, yeah. <laughs> of this letter writing story. Let me tell you, I, I want to hear what, I want to hear the guy side of this whole thing, especially the New Yorker. So um, I might have to send him some Texas steaks or something to, uh -huh. to finesse him <laughs> to get his side of letter writing. That's just too fascinating. Yeah. But in all sincerity, I would love for people to find you at all the places or any place you want them to. Where can they, where can they find you? Where can they follow? What should they click on? <laughs> um, the, I would say, things. I mean, the one-stop shop would definitely be my Instagram page. And that from there, I tend to either list my companies, whether it's ounce water or go get it life or anything else I'm, you know, getting into. So my Instagram handle is my nickname with a combination of my two last names. So it's Mego, M-E-G-G-O, because for Megan, some my friends have always called me Mego. So Mego Mick Rossi. So Mego Mick Rossi. Mego Perfect. And I'll put it in the show notes yeah. <laughs> and I'll have it tagged in all the places. Yeah. Because it's funny. People are like, what's, what's Mego MC Rossi? And I'm like, oh, clearly you don't know my maiden name. Mcdermott? Mick? I'm Mick? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I knew. I mean, I figured out that's yeah. what it was. Uh, Megan, thank you so much. It has been nothing but a pleasure to spend some time with you. You look great. You, you came out well, kid. Like you, <laughs> you grew up really nice. <laughs> Thanks. Not so bad yourself, girl. <laughs> Say hi to the medals for me. <laughs> and to those babies, give them some kisses. All right, friend? I will. All right, bye. Talk to you later. <laughs> Thank you. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to Talk to Me with Liv Harrison, the stories behind their success. I really hope you come back because I am so excited about this podcast launching. 
please make sure that you're subscribing. I would love for you to share on social media, share with your colleagues, your friends. If you could leave me a review or even a rating, especially on Apple Podcasts, I would be ever so grateful. Here's the deal. These next few weeks, as I build up an audience, it's really important for me to get those ratings and reviews and subscriptions. So please share and please do those things. I really promise that I'm going to bring you fantastic content and you're not going to want to miss my next guest. I sure know that. So until next time, I'll wait for you right here. Bye.